Not long after the signal at 99.4 MHz, commonly known as KJZZ, went quiet, a new broadcast began. This one was different, and yet the same, and to the scientists gathered around their equipment to the confused homeowner wondering when this Mrs. McLavin show would end and the new jockstrap song would come on, everyone knew something had changed. This is what they heard. myself when I plunge my hoist truck into the fray of surly teens, or when I throw myself out the door and into the raging battle. I am blind fury. I swing my steel-reinforced gorilla lightning can like a warhammer. It's hard to see through the blinding morass of comb-overs and beer guts that make up this outer ring of the fight, but I don't need to see. I just need to connect fist and steel to gut and shin. Some lanky weirdo in a tattered polo shirt bursts up behind me, screaming he's going to put the slime grasp on me. The lesser fighters, eyes crazed, step back into a semicircle, not speaking but chanting with inhuman, guttural intensity. They look vicious, but I know better. They are fear fed by anger and self-loathing channeled into a passable facsimile of aggression, like Gen Xers at a Dave Matthews Band concert. The slime guy lunges, his sweaty, glistening palms undried by the dust-choked air. He grabs at me, tongue lolling in his mouth. I avoid his fingers and bring him down with a can of gorilla lightning. He crumples. My weapon raised, my senses return. The men want the killing blow. They want the grotesque climax. I don't have time for this. I reach down and pull the slime grasp man to his knees. I'm not here for him, I shout, pointing with my can. And I'm not here for any of you. I'm here for Dusty McLavin. You are not mine to defeat. I turn and walk past my defeated foe, and the circle of rank sweating men opens in front of me. From my broken and useless truck, I grab whatever I can carry. Then I feel a slippery hand on my boot. Whirling around, I see a clutch of wide-eyed fighters. At their head is my recently defeated enemy, smiling up at me from a supplicant's position. He calls me a great warrior. He says they want to follow me to the center of the fight. He says they've never seen anyone like me in the fight before. I look into the whirling storm of brawlers and sand. You can follow if you can, I say, and start walking. The slimy man calls up to me, asking who I am. I'm Mrs. McLavin, I tell them. And who are they, the man asks. You are my sons. Days pass, and time strengthens my sons. Slime Man becomes my lieutenant, announcing my arrival as we approach. Most of the fighters make way for us, our organization frightening and confusing them. Sometimes they will not break for us, so we crush them. We meet fewer foes, but the few we meet are each more crazed and ravenous than the next. 
I meet Brian Finger, who calls himself the cupbearer of Multimouth and master of a wrestling move he calls simply the Finger. He is strong, as is his own band of followers. I am stronger and bring him to heel. And now I am here. I know Dusty's close. I know I haven't missed him. I know it won't be long. My cape of ragged canvas flaps in the wind. My slimy lieutenant by my side. Ahead of us is something new. A great wall of swirling cloud flecked with lightning and fire. My scouts scramble up the dune. They say the way ahead is clear, except... Except what, I ask? Except for the bird, they say. The bird wants to talk with me. The bird? I turn to my lieutenant, his face bearded and scarred. I feel a twinge of something regretful and familiar. I tell him, We've traveled far, my son, but I must continue alone. He nods, sadly. I grab his shoulder. My sons need a leader. You will be first mom now. Lead my sons away from this place. Make a home for yourself, far from here. He takes my arm and bids me a silent farewell with his tears. He turns and barks my commands to our legion. I've lost my sons to the fight. I walk a long way through the sand, first fearful of what I will find and then disappointed when I find nothing. I turn my head, looking all around, and suddenly it's there. It's an unremarkable diner booth, set for two. Someone is already waiting for me. It is the bird. I can tell because, though he has the body of a man in a suit that's been tailored but not well, his head is that of a giant long-billed ibis. His fingers are steepled, and his face, or his beak, is inscrutable. I stare at him, and he looks back at me with animal dispassion. I'm clearly expected, and don't wait to be invited to sit. The space of the table is separate from the storm. I see wind and sand billowing around us, but not a grain disturbs our setting. We stare at each other for a while. So, you've made it. He leans back casually. He snorts, or something like it. I didn't know I was supposed to be anywhere. You're waiting for me? Yes. He says, apparently growing bolder. Yes. I was the one who stage managed your journey to this very moment, Mrs. McClavin. He sits up and some of the feathers around his head fluff outward. I read it as arrogance, though, for all I know, he's taking a shit. I glare at him and he deflates. All right, fine. No, I didn't. I only just figured out where you were. Those bird-faced losers at the bus station, they were yours? He shifts uncomfortably. Not really... With a sigh, he hands me a business card. One side shows a picture of the birdman grinning in a way I'm sure is impossible for someone with a beak. He's in the same suit and gesturing at a bunch of surly teens on lawnmowers. It says, Cormorant Lawn Care, the best there is. The reverse side reads, Jeff, with a G, younger brother to his illustrious self, the Golden Cormorant, and VP Lawn Care. I look back at Jeff, who slouches miserably. All right, Jeff, I say. I think it's pretty obvious I don't have a lawn, so unless you're going to explain what the hell is going on here, I'm going to get on my way. I start to rise. Wait, wait. So, I'm the younger brother, right? I get the lawn business because he doesn't trust me with anything else. Hell, I've barely heard from my brother these last few weeks. Everyone's too busy. It's all because of you. You and Dusty. So, I just did like everyone else. I'm making my play, and I want to help you. I'm not interested in your plans, or anyone's plans. I'm only interested in Dusty. So yeah, about that. I'm pretty sure we can, like, make something work for us. Maybe? I don't know. 
I narrow my eyes at him. Just tell me what's going on. You see, the universe and all the gods and cults and infomercials and other stuff. It's not fixed. It doesn't last long. The last time someone like Dusty came along, everything got all mixed up and rejiggered. At the end, we got Ansipin, and the rest of us had to fight over what was left. Could have gone a lot worse for me and my brother. Could have ended up like Plant Man. And now everyone thinks it's gonna happen again with Dusty. They're all trying to get in a good spot so that when the shit goes down, they won't get pushed out. Hell, they might even get something more. Jeff points to the wall of sand and fire. In there is gonna be ground zero for a next level shitstorm. Why should I care? What does this have to do with me? I ask. Oh. Jeff sounds distracted. You? I mean, not much. No one's expecting you to be there because the raw boys had you tangled up for so long. Man, I hate those guys. They keep keying my car. I think they cut it in half once. Anyway, you're kind of outside the game. Everyone's kind of forgotten about you. I know something about that. His beak twitches, but he continues. Like, no one's thinking about me in all of this. What if there's only room for one birdhead god in the next round? What about everything that's already in this world? What about my lawn care business? Shit. He pushes around the food on his plate. It looks like he's drawing a crude face and ketchup and egg yolk. So I was thinking maybe if I helped you out a bit, you could, like, do old Jeff a solid after it's all settled. What do you say? As he says this, Jeff cocks his head to one side, looking at me in profile with one eye. What have I got to lose? All right, Jeff. But I don't know what's going to happen when I go in there, or even how to get in there. Well, you'll probably be destroyed in the maddening ultraviolence of the Wizard Blood Bowl, but I figure you've got a better shot than I do. Now, as to how to get there, I think I can help. He pulls out an old remote garage door opener, the kind with a big button and a faux wood grain sticker. He presses it and the swirling wall of sand rolls up, revealing a dark tunnel with a bright light on the other end. It's actually not mine. I stole it from my brother. He gestures sheepishly and puts the device away. He wishes me good luck and I go to leave. Before I can say anything, both Jeff and the diner booth vanish. I'm alone. And I see the only way forward. This episode of Brian Weekly was written and performed by Max Monty Python pulp author Eddie, Kathy Evening Voice Fisher, and Whitney with a G Reynolds, with additional screams by Chris, independent French bulldog Jacques, and music by Mouse. Is your lawn not looking its best? Would it be improved by having some teens stand around on it, smoke a few, throw down the end of a warm tall boy of Fritz beer, and then maybe cut it or something? Then why not call Cormorant Lawn Care? We put the bird-headed gods in lawn care. But if you'd rather let your lawn grow into a maze of hideous weeds, then why not give up already and rate us on iTunes and follow us on Twitter, at Brian Weekly. 